Hi, my name is Raymond Han. Today's short story, entitled Primary Blues, is set in the early 70s in Singapore. This short story continues from the previous short story which I wrote, Reflections. The June holidays soon came to an end. The rest of the year got swallowed up all too quickly, and Kai Ming was now in Primary 6, his final year in Newtown Primary School. Today was 20th January 1970. The year of the dog was just a week away, and Kai Ming was barely a month into his new Class 6B. He had been made a class monitor, and life was more hectic than usual. Mr. Ong, his form teacher, had in recognition of his abilities entrusted him with more duties, which Kai Ming could not refuse to accept. Mr. Ong had treated him quite well the past year. Today, Primary 1B was without a teacher, and Mr. Ong had asked Kai Ming to keep the class orderly for the next two periods. Nervous and hesitant, Kai Ming picked up his wooden ruler and walked down the stairs to the ground floor. After a right turn, he reached the classroom. He had not stepped into a primary one classroom in the last five years and could not visualize what it was like inside. There was incessant chatter emanating from the classroom. Holding his head up, he flapped open the French doors and marched into the class. The noise was deafening. There were little boys and girls clamoring over mini chairs and mini desks. One or two were crying. Nobody took notice of this pretentious primary six boy standing in front of the blackboard. He was overwhelmed by the unexpected scene. At last, Kaiming recovered from his initial shock and smacked his ruler on the teacher's table in the same manner which he had seen his teachers do. The sudden sound made all stop dead in their tracks. There was silence at last. He had been noticed at last. Heaving a sign of relief, Kaiming proceeded to tell the class what he wanted from them. He landed his ruler twice during his speech, as if to e- emphasize his points. He paced up and down the classroom, taking in the curious looks of these little kids. It took some five minutes for them to size him up, and the chattering resumed. First, low-pitched mutterings, then high-pitched screams and shouts. The children were now oblivious to his presence. He had lost their attention. Being the youngest child in his family, Kai Ming could in no way be prepared to deal with younger siblings, if any, let alone total strangers. More smacks of the roller on the table could not yield any results. He tried to hide his embarrassment, but in vain. The classroom was a hive of activity. Soon, some children were using him as a carousel centerpiece. They were going around him in circles. One of them tucked at his shorts, nearly pulling them down. Suddenly, the class became quiet. Every boy and girl froze. At the door stood bespectacled Miss Woon maths and science teacher, and every pupil's nightmare. 
Miss Pinch Fingers was what they nicknamed her. She would ask an unsuspecting pupil to come up next to her and then she would use her right thumb and index fingers to pinch the unfortunate pupil's flesh. She would twist the flesh as if she was winding an alarm clock. Nobody fooled around with Miss Woon. If I hear just one more sound out of this room, I'll make sure no one gets to go home today. And you, Kai Ming, don't you even know how to handle a bunch of little kids? Shame on you. I, I, came the familiar reply. Miss Woon left the room to go next door to 1C for her lesson. Kai Ming was left in the room his mouth still sputtering out a reply to her question. Miss Woon was already out of earshot. For the rest of that period in 1B, he kept a red face, and the children kept their silence. He was glad when the bell finally rang for recess. The children charged out of the classroom, leaving him to his thoughts. Am I that useless? What if Miss Woon complains to Mr. Ong? He could get no answers to his questions. Feeling dejected, he made his way through the long passageway, past the level trees, to the canteen at the other end. There were waves of blue and white crowded around the stalls. Kaming didn't like to push through the crowd for his food, so he queued up for the free milk in the center of the canteen, next to the assembly hall. Apparently, the authorities were concerned that Many children in Singapore were undernourished and had recently set up free milk cures in every school in the country. This was Kai Ming's favourite drink and he could save the 15 cents in his pocket again. When he had finished his drink, he went into the open space next to the canteen to look for his pals. Duke and Chun Huat were sitting by the drain next to the field. He squeezed between the two of them. How was 1B? asked Jude. Oh, those small fly, Kaiming muttered, trying to keep a straight face. Well, piece of cake, no problem at all. Aiyya, don't pretend. Your silly face has betrayed you again, quipped Chun Huat. Just like you to be a weakling. I, I, there's only 10 minutes left. Let's play Hamtambola, said Jude as usual, coming to Kai Ming's rescue. The three boys, together with classmates Chen Little and Mutu, made for the field. Kai Ming was glad he didn't have to go down to 1B again that day. A relief teacher had arrived to take care of the class. Back in 6B, poor Kai Ming became the laughingstock of his class because somehow the whole class had got wind of what had happened in 1B. Alicia and Jun Lee, the two girls sitting in front of him, were in stitches. Kai Ming felt down in the dumps. Jun Lee was his secret love, and it pained him greatly to see her laughing at him. Jun Lee had been a great influence on Kai Ming. It was she who first introduced him to reading storybooks. He only started the reading habit to get into her good books and inadvertently got hooked into the habit. Because of this, his English language skills had improved dramatically over the last two years. 
It was also she who had put some leaf into his otherwise dull daily routine. He would wait for her outside her flat at Block 95 dutifully every school day and both of them would walk to school together. This was in spite of the fact they were not exactly neighbours. He was staying two roads away from her. They would perch themselves on their backs on the staircase landing beside the school's foyer, taking turns to read aloud any Brighton books to each other. Kaiming was not aware the other girl in front of him, Alicia, had a crush on him. Both Alicia and Jun Lee were very bright girls, having dominated the first three positions in class the last two years. Kaiming could not have a better selection than either of these two. In fact, in Alicia's entry in Kaiming's autograph book, she had penned the words, Sail to the east, sail to the west, sail to the girlfriend you like best. Either Kaiming had not noticed the hint behind the words, or he pretended to be ignorant. Kaiming did not reciprocate Alicia's feelings. Perhaps he was blinded by his love for Jun Lee. But then, he was too young for such marshy things, for the three of them were only 12 years old. After school that afternoon, Kaiming and Jun Lee walked back to Jun Lee's block at Commonwealth Close. She lived on the ground floor in a two-room flat with her father and mother and an elder brother. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye. See you tomorrow was the rejoinder from Jun Lee. Kaiming walked down Commonwealth Drive, crossed over to the Queenstown Lutheran Church and entered the front gate. He always cut across the church, to the hawker centre and tends to his block. But this time, he was down on his luck. While treading across the football court, he was hit in his right leg by a stone thrown by a secondary school boy in a movement of mischief. The skin below his knee opened up like a submarine hatch, but there was no blood. Kaiming stood speechless. He was too dazed for words or pain. He could only stare at the hole, the size of a five-cent coin. Kaiming summoned enough courage to look into the deep hole, expecting to see a bone or two, but in vain. The boy who was responsible for his predicament ran up to him and apologized profusely. This boy asked Kaiming where he lived and helped him back to his flat. Luckily, Kaiming's mother was not home, or she would have given Kaiming plenty to think about. The boy dressed Kaiming's wound and left the flat. Kaiming did not have the presence of mind to ask the boy's name. Anyway, the wound healed in time for the Chinese New Year celebrations. Chinese New Year's Eve came too quickly. School that day lasted only two hours in the morning. Kaiming's mother was busy preparing the altar for the prayers when Kaiming entered the flat. There were chicken, pork, fish, duck, and a host of other goodies laid out on the table in front of the altar. Kaiming had not seen such a spread in the past 12 months. Keep your fingers off the chicken. Help me to put the bowls of rice on the table. 
Now go wash your hands and change. In the evening, mother and son sat at the dinner table. Big sister could not be back for the reunion dinner. She had to work till past three o'clock again. Reunion dinner was actually a time for the whole family to gather together. But for Kaiming's family, it was quite different. Kaiming could remember only one occasion in the past when his father had been home to celebrate the new year. That was five years back. The ship his father was working on happened to be in port then en route to Amsterdam and his father had three days off. Since then, he had seen his father less than four times. In fact, Kaiming's father had become a stranger to him. Kaiming soon realized that he only longed for his father because his father would buy him his favorite Annie Brighton books when he was in town. It was sad actually, for the pair had drifted apart over the years and their relationship was never to improve in the coming years. This year, reunion dinner was a quiet occasion again, not unlike the previous year. The soup was piping hot, the way Kaiming liked it. He had no complaints that evening. His mother had made delicious and delectable food, but he was lonely. After dinner, Kaiming helped his mother to put money into Ang Pao packets. Each packet contained one dollar and ten cents. Quite a lot considering some other mothers only put in fifty cents in each packet at the time. Though it was night outside, the sky was exploding in waves and waves of bright yellows and reds every few seconds, accompanied by thunderous clapping which deafened everyone's ears. It was time for the yearly ritual of letting off firecrackers from the corridor. There was to be no let up in the deafening noise or the streams of red smoke blanketing the whole area till the wee hours of the morning as every Chinese household in Singapore, rich or poor, let off firecrackers. Kaming helped his mother to take down a bundle from the top of the cupboard in the bedroom. She unrolled the wrapping paper to reveal layers and layers of red firecrackers neatly branched together to form a long row some 10 meters in length. When unfolded, the firecrackers spiraled into a hexagonal mounting. She tied the mounting to one end of a long bamboo pole and carried the pole to the corridor, with Kaiming holding on to the trailing red firecrackers. She then tied the other end of the pole to a pillar in the corridor and took in her left hand the end of the trailing firecrackers with the fuse. The rest of the firecrackers were slung on the parapet. Go ahead, like the fuse, she shouted. It was very noisy and she wanted to be heard. Using a burning joystick, Kaiming ignited the fuse. His mother quickly threw the trailing end over the parapet downwards. Then she pushed the rest of the firecrackers over the parapet. The end with the burning fuse almost reached the ground floor. The firecrackers, having been lit, came alive and danced in the air. Kaiming did not dare to look down. 
he only covered his ears to block out the deafening noise. He was soon to sorely miss this noise, for in the following year, the government would ban firecrackers in Singapore, and he would never get to light firecrackers again for the rest of his life. Both mother and son slipped back into the flat, for their neighbours upstairs had already lit their firecrackers, and the corridor was covered in smoke and red paper. It was dangerous to be out in the corridor. Kaming's mother took two Ang Pao packets out of her cupboard and presented them to him. Kaming, this Ang Pao is from your father, and this one is from me. May you have a good year ahead and pass the PSLE with flying colors. Kong Hi Wa Chai, mother. That night, Kaming went to bed with the red packets under his pillow. Wonder how much is inside this time, he murmured to himself. Last Chinese New Year, his mother had given him $6 in each red packet. That was quite a large sum to him. Soon, he was lost in dreamland. The thunderous clapping outside was far from his mind. It was 7 o'clock when Kaiming opened his eyes. The bedroom light was still switched on, although sunlight was glaring through the open window. It was the family tradition to switch on all the lights in the flat on the eve of Chinese New Year and leave them on overnight. His mother had said this was to welcome the New Year. His mother's bed was empty and Big Sister was slumped in her bed. Kaiming got out of bed and headed for the toilet. Kong Hiwa Chai, mother. Oh, you're up already. Go take a bath and change into your new clothes. Breakfast is ready. Remember, don't disturb your sister. After his bath, Kaiming slipped into his new clothes and greased his hair with blue cream, taking great pains to ensure his curry puff hairstyle was just right. Then he had his breakfast fried rice and chicken. After breakfast, he went into the living room and started his wait for visitors. It was to be a long wait in vain. No one would step into the flat that first day of the Chinese New Year. He didn't realize it at first. As the wait dragged on, his mind would recall the past few New Years and he would be reminded of the stark truth. There he was, all decked out in his New Year clothes, but there was no one to show them to. There was also no Ang Pao to be collected. Kaiming was too young to know that as his family was poor, his relatives would give his flat a miss in their traditional New Year visits. They would keep away all New Year and the rest of the year too. His relatives were mostly rich people who could not get themselves to rub shoulders with the poor. They were afraid Kaiming's mother would borrow money from them. Strangely, when people had money, they started to harbour all sorts of illusions in their minds. Only his father's third cousin, Uncle Cham, who worked as a civil servant, could find time to visit his family from time to time. He paced up and down the flat, taking turns to sit in the cane chair, his bed, and the stool in the balcony while drinking his favourite 
F&N Orange Crush. His mother noticed his impatience. After lunch, I'll take you to Auntie Siok's place, she promised. Auntie Siok was not even a relative. She was the daughter of his mother's friend. They live in Tiong Bahru. His mother had a lot of friends everywhere. Not those fair-weather ones, but real ones who would share all the joys and worries. These people more than made up for the lack of friendship from her relatives. Big Sister was finally awake. She was brushing her teeth when Kaiming came up from behind her. Kong Hee Wa Chai, Big Sister, he said. Mm, 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 ah, was the reply. The toothbrush was still in her mouth and her words were unintelligible. Big Sister had quite a load on her shoulders. It was she who had to quit school when she was in secondary two to help the family to make ends meet. Their father's salary was barely enough to keep the family going. It was an enormous sacrifice for his sister. Girls her age were still enjoying themselves in school and here she was, slept with such a burden. Still, she had taken it all in her stride and accepted it as her fate. Kaiming was careful never to provoke his sister. She had done so much for the family and he felt he owed her a great deal. Without her, he would not have had the chance to complete his primary school studies. Without her, he might not be able to go on to secondary school. This picture, thus painted, was by no means uncommon in newly industrializing Singapore. This was a common story among HDB folk. It was what bound the residents together, a common need for a better life. In the years to come, this common need would fade away as children grew up, parents became grandparents, and the country prospered. Such common poverty was to become a thing of the past as Singaporeans benefited from its new, stable and enlightened government. Mother, I found a new job. Big sister surprised both of them. I am to be a cashier at the Hyatt. Oh, good. Then you won't have to slog through the night again. All this nightlife is not doing your body any good. When do you start, big sister? Next week, on the 1st February. The family of three finally left the flat at about 2 o'clock. They were careful to avoid being surprised by dancing firecrackers let off by residents upstairs in the block. The surrounding open space was a sea of red. Even the drains were clogged with red paper, remnants of firecrackers set off the previous night. Every now and then, exploding firecrackers made themselves heard in the neighborhood. Occasionally, a live firecracker would dart about just next to where they were walking. There simply was no escape from these red things. A public bus took them to a bus stop along Tiong Bahru Road. They alighted and walked down a small road into the new HDB estate. Tiong Bahru at the start of the 70s, was a mixture of recently built high-rise HDB flats and a scattering of low-rise apartments built in the 50s. 
Auntie Siok lived on the 8th story in a two-room flat in Lingkok Baru together with her mother. She was still a spinster, though there were quite a few suitors. Perhaps she wanted to choose a husband carefully, one who would look after her mother and take her as his own. Auntie Siok worked as a telephone operator in a big Chinese firm in Northbridge Road. There was no doubt in Kaiming's mind she could easily get married. She was tall, slender, and quite beautiful. She was Kaiming's favorite auntie. Not only because she gave $4 in her ang pao to him, but also because she was always around to help his mother in her hour of need. Soon, the three of them reached her block. At both ends of the block stood two makeshift gaming stores. Some people, still in their New Year attire, were busy placing their bets. A man standing behind each store was shuffling a deck of cards and at the same time exhorting passers-by to join the game. The lift, located up a flight of stairs in the middle of the block, took the threesome up to the landing between the eight and the nine stories. They walked down some steps, made a right turn, and reached Auntie Siok's flat. Ah, good, she's in, his mother said. In those days, a telephone was a luxury. Out of ten blocks, perhaps you could find two flats with a telephone. Auntie Siok too didn't have a telephone, so there was no way to inform her in advance of their visit. Kaming's mother at times would hazard a visit to her only to find a place in darkness and no one home. An elderly woman opened the door and let him into the flat. There wasn't any grill gate at the front door. Kong Hiwa Chai wished the two children, Ah, you're all here. Asyok, Asyok, look, who's here? called Auntie Syok's mother. Kong Hiwa Chai Amai wished the two again. Amai in Hainanese meant auntie. Auntie Syok was very polite. She was also conversant in English and spoke to Kaiming and his sister in English. Of course, at the time, Mandarin was hardly in use and dialect was dominant in conversations. But this time round, the trees shattered in English. Kaiming's mother and Auntie Siok's mother were firing off Hainanese in rapid succession. Kaiming didn't know what they were talking about most of the time. He seldom spoke Hainanese at home. He spoke English to his sister. He never spoke Hainanese elsewhere. In fact, he was a strange sort of Singaporean, for he was beginning to think and even dream in English. Perhaps it was the influence of those Annie Brighton books. Maybe it was because he seldom spoke to others, even his own mother, and so developed this deficiency. Auntie Siok put an Ang Pao packet in his shirt pocket while he was busy with his F&N orange crush. May you grow up to be an outstanding young man. Thank you, Amai. Back home that evening, Kaiming took out his three red packets and counted the money. Wow, $16. It was a princely sum to a young child at the time. 
Auntie Xiu had given him $4. That's worth the money in four red packets. It was time to play with firecrackers again. Kaiming brought out some 10 centimeter tall rockets and leaned them against the parapet in the corridor. Next, he positioned one of them through an opening in the parapet, took aim and ignited the fuse with a burning joystick. The rocket shot off in a trajectory with a loud wheezing sound. It soon found its mark in the front door of a flat in the opposite block. Bam! Kaming hit his face behind the parapet. An occupant of the targeted flat came out for a look. He went back in and closed the door behind him. Kaming launched the remaining five rockets into the sky. Then he went in search of his two pals. He had no luck on the ninth story. Tun Huat was still out visiting. Juke, who lived on the fifth story, came out to join him. Both boys went to the Indian store in the hawker centre to purchase fireworks. They soon found a spot on the curb at the corner of their block and spent the rest of the evening letting off different types of fireworks. There were fireworks shaped like motorcycles, tanks, cars and lorries. When ignited, some would move off in a straight line, others would go round in circles and release a trail of colourful bright sparks. How the two boys enjoyed that evening. Their children would never get to see such dazzling toys, let alone fire them. It was a treat that would remain etched in the boys' minds for a long time to come. With the passing of the Lunar New Year, the rest of the year took a more serious note. The PSLE examination seemed to loom closer and closer. Finally, before Kaiming knew it, he had sat for all the PSLE papers. It was already the middle of October. The year of the dog only had three months left in his run. Unknown to Kaiming, his future wife would be born on the first day of the next Chinese New Year, the year of the pig. Having to say goodbye to all his schoolmates, teachers and the school was painful. Kaiming had been posted to Victoria School in Jalan Besar, while most of his classmates would start secondary school in the adjoining New Town Secondary School. He had made sure everyone he knew had contributed some words in his autograph book. He would soon be moving to the new Topayo estate far away, and there would be little opportunity to see his pals again. The changes were taking Kaiming by storm and displacing his mind. It was the last day of school, and Kaiming could not keep still. He would miss Chun Huat, Juk, Jun Li, Alicia, Mr. Ong, and the only school he had known in his life. Sitting on a curb by the side of the school building, Kaiming opened his autograph book to the page where Mr. Ong had scribbled some words. No man is an island by himself, either in life or after death. It was an apt reminder to Kaiming not to daydream too much, not to keep to himself all the time, but to learn to accept those around him and live with them. Alas, 
Kaming was too young to understand the meaning behind the words. At last, he closed his autograph book and with that closed a chapter in his life. I hope you have enjoyed listening to Primary Blues. <laughs>